Welcome to Keep It 100 Podcast with Sean and Krista Smith. Join us in this space where we take on real issues with real insight and a real inspiration. This podcast is for those not looking for temporary relief to change circumstance, but revelation to forever change lives. Hey, welcome to another episode of Keep It 100 with Sean and Krista. Hey, everybody. So excited to be with you once again. This is truly going to be a special episode because Krista and I and our entire team have just come out of a, a phenomenal gathering that we've been telling you guys about, Momentum 2024. Some of you recall we had our first one in 2023, and then it just began all kinds of stuff. We, we began yeah. to have monthly meetings. Uh, we were planning Momentum 2024, but we had no idea what we were in for. It really has been a sovereign work of the Lord. And that is just so encouraging when God moves in a way you just didn't expect. You prayed for, right? You believed for it. But then when you see it actually happen, that began in 2023. And we're just seeing really just an, a deeper increase. Like 2023 momentum was absolutely incredible. It was mind blowing. And I felt super changed. And then momentum 2024, the purity in the room, the presence of God in the room was was so special and so incredible. And we just went really, really deep. So it felt again, very marking. And I feel once again, like I did last year, I have a really hard time articulating all that God did because it was such a deep and layered work that he did in the room with all of us. It was so special. You know, we had a a phenomenal crowd of people that packed out. We had to pull out more chairs. We had people sitting in the risers Mm -hmm. and it just opened up. Yeah. And I, I would just love, Krista, just to give a quick little recap of just what we experienced and what we saw. Uh, One of the things that I think was so important was the worship, and people testified about this, Boo, that the worship was just so Jesus-centered, glory-packed. People just felt this pure stream. People over and over said the worship was so pure, Mm -hmm. didn't feel manufactured. It was just so pure. And it it was like we were caught up during these times of worship. It's really true. Um, I had an encounter with the glory of the Lord, a really unique encounter. And I've actually never had an encounter like that. And it was just a realm that opened up in the atmosphere. And so um, what we experienced as a corporate body, it felt like everyone was having these individual encounters and yet we were having one big corporate encounter. And like Sean said, there was this collective unified agreement on the purity in the room that there was no agenda, but Jesus, like Jesus was being glorified. And it wasn't like anyone was trying to pull attention to themselves. It was simply God was in the room and we couldn't help but adore him. Yes. And we saw people just come and flood the altars, yeah. lay out before yeah. the Lord. Yeah. Uh, it was in that time that you could feel such faith in the room that there was a guy that came on with crutches yes. because of an injury to his leg that literally he got prayed for, I think, as the service was starting, worship was starting. And I love it. Just some people prayed for him and he threw his crutches on the altar and it stayed on the altar for the rest of the conference slash not conference gathering. And I got a chance to talk to him at the end and hug him and take a picture selfie with him. He just said he got healed. God touched him. Come on. I love that. And it was so, it was so cool. Like, I don't know how I missed it. I think I was just worshiping and I was so focused on Jesus. I somehow missed it when the crutches crowd surfed. And there's a beautiful picture. I have it on my social media. So if you want to check it out, it's my last post. And it really, to me, sums up how momentum felt. It was just this like joy 
miracles, signs and wonders, God of the impossible, making it possible moment where Sean's holding the crutch with the biggest smile, like such a joy. And I just felt like it summed it up. It captured like, oh my gosh, we're living in the days where we're experiencing the fullness of what God's intended for us to experience. And I think so many of our faiths in that moment and just throughout Momentum Conference was this reminder. And maybe for some people, the light bulb went on for the first time. And that is this stuff is real. God's real. And the Bible is real. The book of Acts is real. Like God really does this. Yes. Freedom in the room. People receive freedom. There was deliverances throughout the conference. So many deliverances. You'd hear hear people and you knew they were getting set free. Yes. It was amazing. Uh, We broke for souls. I mean, I was sobbing, just crying out for the lost. We were challenged in the area of using our voice, particularly we've got opportunity to impact this nation and and shape the narrative over a generation. We need to use our voice, voice of righteousness, Mm -hmm. the prophetic voice. Uh, We we heard uh, messages that just the hunger for the more. We heard messages on uh, just purity, Mm -hmm. on hearing the voice of God. I mean, there were so many different things, our identity, Mm -hmm. the fact that it our our work isn't finished it's hard to put in Mm -hmm. the words the variety of the way we were spoken to it was like the spirit of god just began to deal with all these different areas and then we culminated with your session which is really what this episode is going to be about because christy you shared a phenomenal session on just prophetic things that you felt like the lord was sharing with you and right before we jump into that part because i'm going to interview Kristen, then i'm going to share some stuff. I just want you to know, I know many of you, you go, man, I wasn't able to make it to Momentum 2024. I didn't do the live stream. As of right now, you can go on our website, seanandchristasmith.com, and you can order all of the sessions from Momentum 2024. And we literally, just people weeping, people talk to us uh, from people that have been around the faith for a while to new believers. And they all said that it was just something that was so for them, earth shattering, Mm -hmm. like just something that they'll never be the same. And so you're going to want to go on right now and you can get all of the sessions on our website right now. And so you want to do it. So let's jump in this. You ready for this? I'm ready. Let's do it. All right, Krista. You know, it's funny because I I, I was listening to some guys talk about this and I I just want to say this. The guy made something, you know, in terms of a point, he he said something I thought was really profound. He says, on one end, not everybody has to have a brand new year word. You know, like I think there's a temptation to feel like, oh, it's 2024. I got to prophesy. I got to have a word. Oh, it's going to be 2025. I got to have a word. But at the same time, it doesn't negate the fact that God does want to speak and is speaking to us. And I could truly say, listening to your message and knowing you, you really have a bead on the word of the Lord. And so Krista, I just want to begin by asking you, Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things that you spoke about in your message is you begin to speak about one of the things you saw God doing in this next season was the midwife anointing. Can you break that down and share with us what it is that God spoke to you as it relates to that? I heard the Lord say that this is a year of birthing and that I'm mantling the bride with a midwife anointing. I didn't understand the verbiage per se, but he took me through a study in scripture and then he gave me a prophetic word to kind of break that down to really make that statement that feels a bit abstract, a little bit more digestible. And what I heard the Lord say is that because this is a year of birthing, I felt like the Lord said, I'm raising up people in this hour with a midwife anointing that are going to help birth 
this move of God that he's doing right now. And I really believe that we're in a moment of a divine push. And I'm going to kind of break down what does that push mean and what does that look like in our lives? But the Lord then reminded me that when something's birthed, right? Imagine a delivery room. There's a cry that's released, right? When something's getting birthed and it's raw, it's undignified. It can make you uncomfortable. Like if you're not comfortable with like unusual noises, like don't go near a delivery room because there's all sorts of sounds, right? There's all sorts of like not your normal everyday sound. You're like, whoa, I'm here in a location and in a place where something that is not normally happening is happening. When you're around something getting birthed, you're like, whoa, hold on. Like I've got to know, like, I've got to know like why I'm here and what I'm doing here. Right. Because it, you feel the sensitivity of the location. And I feel like that's true of the church right now. Like understand your assignment in this hour and understand like the location that we're called to walk in, in this, at this moment. And I felt like the Lord says uh, what he's about to release this sound uh, that we're going to hear in the delivery room of revival, it it will make you uncomfortable. And it's going to press on every religious bone in the body of Christ. And truth is some of us may not even like it at first, right? Cause it's going to be loud. It's going to be messy. It's going to be radical, but the push that I'm talking about, that's going to happen in the, this delivery room of God, um, it's going to bring order and it's actually going to push out anything that is in a, is not essential. And what do I mean by that? All the fluff, all the nonsense, all the things that we focus on that truly don't have eternal value, they are going to lose their pull or sway with us. Uh, we're really just going to focus on what's actually really important. The undiluted gospel, the presence of Jesus, worshiping and adoring him, praying, being intercessors, being watchmen on the wall, and actually partnering with what God's doing and walking in the fullness of what's available to us. So when you push and you understand the assignment, all of a sudden, the other things that used to seem so important, distract you, take up your time and kind of just get you off focus of who we are in God. God's like, as you guys push into the things of what I'm doing, all that other stuff that is not essential is actually going to just be pushed out of the way. Because when you're in the delivery room of revival, when you're a midwife and the anointing, um, it brings a focus to why you are doing what you're doing. And God says, I'm bringing a focus to the church. And that's why so many people have been battling a spirit of distraction. Um, I've, I've asked so many people, um, you know, when I've been, when I've ministered or just in private conversation, like when you are spending time with God or when you're trying to press in, like everything you're supposed to cover that day, that week, that month, that year pops into your mind, right? Anyone relate to that? Some of you listening are, we're going, Krista, that's me. I'm like, that's a spirit of distraction, but it just shows you God's actually going to break that spirit of distraction. And he's bringing a focus in 2024 to the church. Like we're going to really understand what we're about. But I felt like the Lord says, as you press in, understand there at times will be resistance. But if you do not give way to their resistance, if you don't come underneath the, the that opposition, if you don't come underneath the criticism or what people think or that man pleasing, if you just stay true to what God has called you to birth in this season and to be a midwife, and that is you being in position as a coach in the delivery room of revival, that's you sitting there looking at the people, the body of Christ, the church, the bride at large, and you're actually in a position to encourage her, to coach her and to call her to a place of birthing. And so what does that mean? 
that means when she lags, you're like, come on, come on, get up, get up. It's time to get up mama. And then it's time to push. It's time to press in. Nope. Come on. Don't, don't get stuck where the enemy wants you to get stuck. Don't take the bait. Don't get caught up in that narrative. Don't get distracted. Stay focused while you're here, what you, what you carry, who you are, you are reminded you're in a position to remind, to declare, to pray through and to position, help position the body of Christ to birth this move of God. So I feel like the, the midwife anointing has a responsibility of intercession, of declaration and positioning in an area of authority. And I was reminded of Exodus one, uh, verses 13 through 15 were introduced. Um, the King of Egypt is, uh, addressing two midwives named Shifra and Pua. And these two midwives, they were barren. That's how a woman was designated and chosen to be a midwife. It's because she could not have children of her, of her own. So here's this barren woman that is asked to have an assignment to bring life and to help give life and to help these women birth what they're carrying in the natural. But he gets intimidated of the, of the children of Israel. And so where they were once friends, they're now viewed as enemy of the Egyptian people. So if you're tracking with me, because the king is now intimidated by the children of Israel, he now wants to create a genocide and he wants to go after the male babies. So he calls these midwives in where their assignment up until this point has been to give life. He's saying, I want you actually to kill every male heir that's born. But what he did not understand and what he fully underestimated was these two midwives feared God above him. And so the king didn't understand that the fear of God is higher than the fear of a, a king in the natural. And so he thought he would have their buy-in because of his authority, because of his you know clout in the natural. But what I love is these women had a choice. Who are they going to fear? Are they going to fear the king? Or are they going to fear the king of kings? And they chose to fear the king of kings. And because they did this, they ended up saving a, a, nation, a people group, the children of Israel, from a genocide. See, the king was actually wanting to ultimately take out uh, the children of Israel. And it was a slow genocide. And I mean this because if you take all the males out of a society or a people group, you're not going to be able to reproduce. If you take all the males out of a, a society and a people group, you will have a fatherless generation. You will have orphans, which is key to identity. And so he was going after their identity. He was going after their ability to reproduce, have legacy, have inheritance. Like he was going, he was very strategic. They weren't going to really feel the full consequences of this declaration from the king for decades, in a sense, really, um, when those, you know, people would age, then you would really see the fallout of this decision. But these midwives, because they had foresight, they were like, we cannot actually have a new assignment because we already understand our assignment. Our assignment is to honor God and to bring life and to release life and guard life and protect life. And because they understood, they actually ended up saving the people, uh, the people of God. And they actually uh, were in the time where Moses was spared. And this is really cool that when you actually study the history of this story, this is when Moses, that's why he was found in a basket, right? In, in the Nile is because 
because this was during the time where the king of Egypt was trying to take out. So his mom and dad had, had, had kept him and hidden him for three months, but now he's obviously too old to hide. So what do they do? They put him in a basket and then one of the Pharaoh's daughters finds this beautiful baby boy, Moses, in a basket, adopts him, brings him into the royal family. And that's how Moses ends up. It's because of the movement that Shifra and Pua did as a midwife, their, their call for courage, their call for bravery, their call to honor God, um, spared a nation and it delivered the deliverer, right? So I just feel like we have to understand in this moment, there's a deliverance anointing on the midwives for America right now. And we have to understand that we are called to birth a move of God. And in this birthing, there's going to be a deliverance of bondage over the nation of America. You know, that's so good for a couple of different reasons. I think we all, Krista, have been at places in our walk where we feel like something was aborted. Yeah. Like there was a dream we were given. There was an opportunity we were given. We began to step out and feel some, some uh, I'm going to use the word again, momentum in the area of some ministry, whatever it may be. But then we feel like we get hit, something happens. And then throughout life, people get coaches. They get coaches when they work out. Yeah. They get coaches in terms of tutors when they're maybe in their school or whatever it is, a, a skill you want to acquire. So I love that fact that you you're saying in this season, you we need to help midwife the callings and giftings in people, yes. thus the overall purpose of God. Yes. And then one other point you made that I, I really thought about in Acts 7, 19, uh, there is a retelling of what was the strategy of Pharaoh. And it said, now this is New Testament now, and obviously where Christus is, is, is quoting from uh, goes back to uh, Exodus. Mm -hmm. And so it says in Acts 17, it, it spoke of Pharaoh. It says, it, it was Pharaoh who dealt shrewdly and took advantage of our nation and mistreated our fathers and exposed them in order that they might abandon their infants in the Nile so that they would not survive. Mm. So Pharaoh's strategy was to expose the fathers in a way that they would abandon their kids and there would be a fatherless generation, one, and there would be a boarding of that next generation. And so I, I agree with you right now. I think part of that midwife anointing, it's seen in so many different ways. That is such a great, great point. And you know what I love is I find it incredibly encouraging because these two women who were barren and in the natural really didn't have a lot to give, they were actually put in this position because they lacked right? Mm -hmm. So God used these two women that quote unquote lacked in the natural and they were used to bring deliverance. And then if you keep reading the story, because they honored God, God gave them their own family and they were no longer barren. And I think you can apply that to your life in the natural and you can apply that to your life in the spiritual. And I simply want you to understand that, you know, you might feel like you don't have anything. You're like, what do I have in my hand? All I see is the lack. I want you to know God doesn't see the lack. He actually is just looking for your yes. If you're just obedient to God, love God, give your life to God. He's going to make what's barren or what feels not fruitful or the place that feels like uh, the place of nothing. He's going to make it something. He's going to make it that place of breakthrough. He's actually going to make it that place that is fruitful for you. And so I just, I want you guys to understand that God sees our lives different than how we see him. He sees us sometimes different. I hope, you know, we have a full, you know, ability to see how God sees us, but I don't know if we're 
really able to see fully how God sees us. God sees us as fully capable, you know, and and fully able to partner with him. He is not um, concerned about what we don't have in the natural because whatever we need, he will give it to us. And I just love that. I love that these women uh, walked in what seemed like nothing and they walked out with everything their heart desired. And I just think all because they just said, you know what, we're just honoring God. We're just going to honor God. And so our lives are truly just about positioning ourselves from a place of obedience and honoring God. And I think uh, there was even some Bible scholars and they did, they ran the numbers on it. But these two women basically it affected other women who also courageously stood up to protect uh, these uh, Hebrew babies. Yeah. And uh, it's easy to say that when you influence that generation, save them, uh, it, it could very easily be talking about, we're talking about millions of uh, people in a generation were spared because of this. That's so profound. Yeah. You know, another thing you hit on on the conference, Krista, that I think it was so profound and I even want you to break it out, but it had to do with men and a strategy of the enemy in this yeah. hour. Go ahead. Why don't you share that? Well, I, I don't know if people have heard me talk about this before. I'll simply kind of give a little bit of a backdrop from where this is coming from. You know, we're in a moment where Esther's are arising. We're seeing women of God be raised up like never before. We're seeing God really um, promote women in this hour. And it is absolutely God. It's exciting. I love it. And I am just cheering on every woman that's getting released right now. But then the Lord began to speak to me about Mordecai's, that Mordecai's are equally as important as Esther's, that actually Esther wouldn't have been Esther had Mordecai not come to her, uh, come to yes, come to her uh, without his prompting, she would not have stepped into the, the assignment of God in her life and would not have spared a nation. Because we got to remember that when Mordecai sent word to her, she actually sent an argument back of the king hasn't called me. He hasn't asked for me in 30 days. If I go before him, he can kill me. And then that's when that famous passage where Mordecai responds says, if you think you're going to stay in the palace, sweetie, and you're going to be unharmed, this is Krista paraphrase. If you're going to be unharmed, you're kidding yourself. Not only are you going to be killed, God's actually just going to go ahead and raise someone else up then to be the deliverer of a nation. She hears that and she hears the truth and the spirit of God on it. And that's when she says, okay, fast and pray for three days as my maids and I will, and I will go before for the king. And if I perish, I perish. Right. So that's that famous scripture that we know because Mordecai saying, maybe you were born for such a time as this. So this is really powerful. So I say all that to say, as Esther's are arising in this hour and God is truly releasing women, he's releasing men. And for the Mordecai's to step into position for the Esther's to step in position. But then the Lord spoke something to me in 2024. And he said this, I'm raising up voices in this hour to break the agenda, to emasculate men in our society. I'm going to say that again. So you really catch it. I felt like I heard the Lord say, I'm raising up voices in this hour to break the demonic agenda that emasculates men in our society. So I want you to understand what is emasculation. We hear that word. Some of you may not understand that definition in its simplest sense. It refers to the act of belittling, demeaning, or undermining a man's masculinity. It can manifest as disrespecting a man's abilities, questioning his competency, ridiculing his emotions, or reducing his worth. And you know, if we really begin to look at our society, many movies, sitcoms, narratives, uh, films, music, um, is very demeaning to men. It's, it's very emasculating to men to the point where, um, I see as kind of when I felt like the Lord opened my eyes, it was interesting how the Lord will just begin to make you 
aware of you have seen things, but all of a sudden you see it, see it. And that's what began to happen. The Lord began to speak that to me. And then I kept running across stuff. And I actually ran across an interview. Isn't this interesting? And it was on a social media platform. And it was asking women that are probably more Gen Z, more college age. And they're like, uh, what's the value of men in society? And every young woman, now the granted, this is just, this was just a random poll and I don't even know how it popped up on my phone, but it's, it, I thought, well, this is interesting, right? Cause God's already speaking to me. And I'm like, what are their answers going to be like? Where's this going? And every girl goes, I can't think of one reason why we need men. And then the host like girl was laughing. She, and then I think a guy was there interviewing too. And he's like, wait, what? And he, she's like, I can't think of, I can't think of one reason. Like what do men add? Like what can, we, what can men do? What, how can they add? She's like, they just create problems. And then it was in that vein that every other woman, young woman began to answer in that same thing. Like there was no value. Like no one could think of a reason why we needed men. And I thought, have they not met amazing men? Like, have they not, what's their encounter been? But they have been fed a doctrine, right? They have been fed an agenda that has now become a truth for a generation where they don't understand the value of men in our society. And I've seen it creep into the church. And here's what I felt like is really important as women are arising, which is absolutely biblical and it's God and it's good. But as women arise, that is not pushing men down. It's actually when we are walking in kingdom and men and women together, everyone should be thriving, right? So women should be in the fullness of who they are unapologetically. And women should be able to be strong and powerful and anointed and clear on who they are. Like, come on, Deborah's and Esther's like, know who you are. And men equally should be strong and powerful and know who they are unapologetically. And there shouldn't be a shame in either gender walking in our fullness. And I feel like there's been a shame over men. And I felt like God wanted to break the shame off of men in our society. And I think us as women, as we're arising, that might feel like an unusual and even unexpected thing to address as a woman, because I think a lot of people view our society as favorable toward men. And I think historically, that's probably true. I think it has been a masculine focused culture and there's has been toxic things connected with that. There has been dysfunction, but I think there's an opportunity here to actually restore it, restore who we are in God and the fullness. And I think that we cannot expect society to restore something the church has not established. I think this is an invitation in this hour for the church to establish the value of men and women, not in competition and not in comparison with one another. But in in the in the fullness of who God created us to be together, side by side, if we're actually going to establish the Esther company, we have to establish the Mordecai's. Like one doesn't exist without the other. You have to have both. And so I feel like the Lord is putting this on people's hearts right now. And I haven't really heard anyone talk about this, but I feel it's like true. it's going to become a conversation. Yes. And I feel like I have to bring it forth. Like we have to break this emasculation of men in the society. And what's interesting, and you were there, of course, in my conference at Momentum, I closed it out, the conference, and I had men that resonated with this. This felt like this minister, like hit, hit, hit them personally. I had them stand and there was many men that stood. Uh, there were. And there was healing and deliverance that happened where yeah. we're, we're able to break off that shame and that undermining and that devalue because I'm not okay if the full bride isn't in, isn't in the God identity they were created to be in. If only half the church is walking in our fullness and the other half is it. And that goes both ways. The, the women of God up until this point 
haven't really been in our fullness. So we're now stepping into that. But as we step into that, I just feel like we got to make sure there's not this shame still stuck on men. Like there's, there's all of us kind of going to this new place of freedom. That's what's available right now in the body of Christ. You know, I think you were absolutely right on that. And I haven't heard anyone speak on that as well. And you know, it's funny as I think is maybe in one aspect of it as strategic, maybe as some people perceive, for instance, let's say the Barbie movie in that sense that it was kind of like a woman empowerment, but there were overtures and, and this kind of undercurrent of like anti-can, you know, mm. it's like I don't know, the actor Ryan uh, Gosling, right. you know, he even sang a song in there. And I think it really does, as well as the interviews you were talking about, I think there really is that. And at the end of the day, what we have to come to is to understand it's got to be kingdom. What yeah. does the Bible say? Right. What does the word of God say? And and there is this place of honor and there has to be an honor and has to go both ways. Both ways. Yeah. And if it doesn't go both ways and it just goes one way, then it ceases to be kingdom, That's right. ceases to be blessed. It will not get off the ground. It will not build unless the Lord builds the house they labor in vain. The Lord, if you're not building your life, your future, your value system, what we pour into the next generation, there are people out there, you got kids, you're raising up little girls, you're raising up little boys. What do you want them to catch from you? Right. And if they catch a disrespect for a gender, uh, a man hating, and obviously like you said, it's 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 been a good old boy, good old boy club for too long. Yeah. And it's grievous. We were talking to a girl yeah. that is in a major movement and she was just saying that basically women in the movement she's at aren't able to speak and just look down upon it. And it it's was crazy. like, it was like, get out, get out, get out. She had a call again. <laughs> get God. out. Get out. And, and I feel like it's so cool that we have seen conferences for yeah. a while. There was just all men. Yeah. Now we're beginning to see women. Yeah. And now even women are speaking to men more and more and more. Yeah. But like you said, there is that man-hating spirit. Because you brought out a good point, too, that the early feminist manifesto, one of their goals in view, their end game was emasculation of men. Yes. And that's totally what happened. Any males that got around Jezebel, she made them into eunuchs. Yep. And that's why. Jehu said to the eunuchs, throw Jezebel out the window. In other words, she, she, this spirit has emasculated you. Mm -hmm. This is your chance to cast that down. Right. So I think that's so profound. You know, it was interesting is that I was, I was studying this and preparing for my session at Momentum. I found an interesting statistic and I felt like the Lord spoke to me and you people can agree or disagree with me. I'm fine with that. I just, I'm just simply sharing a, it's very subjective, but this is what I felt like the Lord said said, you know, right now in history, historically, um, men historically have the lowest levels of testosterone that they've ever had. And the wow. medical community has no explanation right now, you're right saying. now, historically, um, they're saying 20 something year old men have the t t testosterone levels of a 60 something year old man. Wow. And so there's been a massive decrease of this hormone. And I think, and the, so I began to pray into that. Cause I was like, the medical community cannot explain it. Hmm. I'm going to, follow that trail spiritually. Jesus, what do you say about that? We have a, we have a physical symptom with no explanation. It's the lowest it's been historically. We have 20 something year old men that have the testosterone of 60 something year old men. They have never seen this historically. They have no explanation why. And I heard the Lord say, because of the spirit of emasculation that has gone after men, that this is a, a physical symptom of a spiritual problem. Wow. Hey, y'all, we do call this keep your 100. How many of you know right now we're keeping it 100? Yeah. And I, I felt 
Like that is a physical symptom of a spiritual issue that when the church breaks this over men and breaks this in our nation, that's when testosterone levels, I would love to see, right? If you break it, I'd love to see those. What if they just begin to rise? Like there would be a physical symptom, a measurable symptom where they're like, we don't know why they were down, but now they're back up because the church goes after demonic spirit that's trying to actually hold men down because testosterone is a key reproductive hormone. So fertility rates are at an all-time low in addition to that. So if you have all-time low fertility rates and you're having a harder time reproducing, yeah, follow that trail spiritually. Um, I think there's a demonic agenda on that. And people may agree or disagree with me. That's fine. Um, But when I took it to prayer, that's what I heard. And I just thought, okay, I want to see the body of Christ thrive. And I think there's an invitation to go after something that is holding half the body of Christ down and back, you know? And I think you brought up a great point. I want the next generation of young men to go, I, man, women are amazing, powerful, anointed, strong. I want the next generation of young women to go, men are amazing, powerful, and strong. And there's this healthy expectation of who we're called to be. That's what I want to model. I don't want to model anyone being suppressed or dominated. I want us to walk as God has called us to walk. You know, it's funny because, you know, this generation, they want family. But if you're being interviewed and you go, what good is men for? Like, it's almost a contradiction. Like, how are you going to have family, have kids, and you have no respect for male and you don't see the value of it? So it's an indirect, not only attack on men, it's an attack on the family. That is just so profound. Hey, Krista, you know, another thing that you spoke of at the conference that was really profound is you you kind of talked about the spirit of betrayal. And I was immediately thinking about a Judas. You know, we talk about mm-hmm. a Jesus people movement. Well, when the original Jesus people movement, I'm not talking about the hippies. I'm talking about when Jesus walked the earth, what rose up against his movement was betrayal, you know, Judas. And so talk to us about you were seeing this thing about this year, about the spirit of betrayal. Yeah, I heard the Lord say, as I was just waiting on him for like, Lord, what are you declaring over 2024? And I heard the Lord say, the enemy has unleashed a spirit of betrayal in the land. This is the hour of the Judases. And I know that's a bit heavy and I know I've probably sounded lightweight negative on the things that I've heard. If you go back to our previous podcast episode, I have a lot of really positive things that I say. So this is a bit of a part two. This is probably a little heavier. Um, but I, I think it's important that we talk about the the positive, but this is also sometimes when we call out, uh, maybe what we viewed as more negative. I don't really view it as negative. I view it as strategy. And so consider this strategy. So in second Timothy three, verses one through five, I'm going to read this because I want you to catch this. It says, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days, there will be very difficult times for people will love, love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful, proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving, unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. Catch this. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious. Who 
Ooh, my goodness. But they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. So verse four, we read it says they will betray their friends. Wow. And the Lord highlighted that it's like it jumped off the page. He said, you know, go to second Timothy. I went to that. I read this and it just like jumped off the page. They will betray their friends. And that's when the Lord says a spirit of betrayal has been unleashed in the land. It's the hour of the Judases. And I felt like the Lord said in this season, we must be diligent about whom we allow into our lives, not from a place of fear or not from a place of elitism, but from a place of wisdom. And that the Lord is really telling us uh, to really guard our peace and to uh, guard whom we allow to speak into our life and whom we share our heart with, uh, who we really um, allow to influence our life. Um, And I felt like the Lord says, I will give you wisdom and discernment. But I I shared this last week in the podcast episode. So listen to it if you didn't. But that this year, your your courage is going to be called upon. There's going to be demand on your courage. And this is where some of the courage is going to be required. There are some relationships that are going to have to be adjusted into your life. Some of them may have to be fully like cut out. And I don't love saying that, but I think there just has to be some of you um, really hear this for what it is. There is going to be just God's like, if you're going to go where I'm asking you to go, that toxic relationship, that relationship that pulls you into compromise or calls you in, like there's an appeal of sin um, in that relationship or friendship. Um, God's like, you've got to lay that down. You have to lay down the things that are pulling you away from the Lord. But here's the thing about the Judas. Judas was, um, he was at all the sermons. He saw the miracles. He was in the presence of God. He shared meals with Jesus and he remained untransformed. And there's people, because obviously we just read it in 2 Timothy, this was not talking to unbelievers. This was talking about believers. So there, that's very like, there's that's that makes you go, whoa, Jesus, is there anything in me? I don't know. That's what it makes me do. It makes me go, oh my goodness, Jesus, check me. You know, if there's anything that is in me that opposes you, Jesus, you have full permission to uproot that out of me. But I think we have to understand that as, you know, this letter is being written to Timothy and he's reading this and he's challenged to actually go, wow. There's people that I do life with in the church that are actually completely remaining untransformed. They love maybe the merch. They love singing the songs. They love being at all the events, but their hearts are not close to God. And I think you can be in acquaintance with about anyone, right? But I'm talking about the people whom you really run after God with and the people whom you really do life with. They have to be people that are going after God. And I think we have to be really honest about who those people are because I feel like the Lord's is inviting us to go to that delivery room, that midwife room, right? Not everyone's going to get in there. And again, that can sound really elite. And I'm not trying to make anything elite. I think there's, I think if anyone comes fully consecrated to God and comes like in repentance, even if they're walking in things that aren't great, God's going to let you in. It's just, it's a matter of like having a soft heart, uh, a tender heart, a, d- a heart that's being willing to be moldable and teachable before the Lord. That's what God's looking for, right? Because David is a great example example of that. David wasn't perfect. David messed up. But what I love is David was always referred to as a man after my own heart because it wasn't that he was perfect because he was repentant and he was tender toward the things of God. So there is that on-ramp. I do want to qualify that and bring balance to what I'm saying. But at the same time, I feel like we have to use discernment and you have to be honest in this season. I love what you're sharing. And I think, you know, when you're talking about you have to use discernment, I think one of the things that I immediately came to mind as you were saying that is, you know, I, I would often counsel, you know, singles as it relates to getting married. And we would say, particularly the young ladies, we go, if the dude isn't faithful to Jesus, he isn't going to be faithful to you. 
In other words, if he would betray Jesus, he's going to betray you. And then I think another thing, you know, just in discernment, you would discern that because how faithful is a person to Jesus? If they would betray their faith for popularity, they would betray their faith because the heat is on. They Mm -hmm. would betray their faith because they could run with a group or get a raise or you go on and on and on. They're going to betray you Mm -hmm. in terms of you getting a relationship. But the other thing is people that betray confidences. You know, if you see someone putting somebody else's business out there, as we used to say, putting it out in the streets, you got to know they're going to do that to you too. So I totally, totally am hearing and just going, wow, I absolutely feel like there's something on that. Oh, that's that's good. I'm so glad you added that. That's so good. You know, and then I, as I was spending time with God about this, I felt like God even kind of flipped the script though. So there's that, the Judases. And then I felt like the Lord says, but don't you become a Judas, Ooh. right? Because you can hear this word and think, oh, who's going to betray me? Or you're kind of like, yeah. but then it's like, well, we could be the betrayer. Let's wow. be honest about that, right? Like, did Judas know that was in him? Probably not. Like, right? You don't quite know sometimes you're deceived. That's why it's called deception. <laughs> and you don't know necessarily sometimes what's in you until you don't get your way or you don't get what you want, which was Judas. He had an agenda and his gen- agenda became more important than Jesus. And mm-hmm. he then ended up betraying because mm-hmm. his agenda was more important. So I felt like the Lord says, be diligent in keeping your heart pure and keeping your heart clean and keeping your heart unoffended. Because if you look at the model of Judas, he got offended and he got judgmental. He got accusatory and then he took matters into his own hands and then he made a whole mess of things. And so he ended up betraying betraying the one that was loyal to him, the one that could have healed him, the one that could have set him free. And he's actually the one that led Jesus to the cross. And so I felt like it's it goes two ways. It's like there has been a spirit of betrayal unleashed and this is the hour of the Judas. That means be aware of people not being truthful to you or having a good agenda towards you or having a good motive to you. But then are you that person? Are you the one that could betray? And I felt like this was really important when it comes to covenant relationships because the enemy hates covenant relationships. Mm -hmm. And what did Judas do? He betrayed a covenant relationship. And I felt like in the area of people's marriages, even the areas of spiritual relationships, um, you know, uh, spiritual moms and dads or spiritual family or people that you have been really called to serve or work with or come alongside. If you're not careful in the season, you could become offended and the people you were called to serve, you now betray. And God is saying, keep your heart clean. Do not take the bait of the enemy of offense or accusation or self selfish ambition. But if you keep your heart pure before me, uh, you will not only guard, but you will actually deepen your covenant relationships. Oh, that's so good. I think that antidote to betrayal is be loyal, right? Yeah, that's good. Like if you're really focusing on, I'm going to be loyal to Jesus. I'm going to be loyal to his word, written scripture. I'm going to be loyal to the house of God. I'm going to be loyal to my, my friend. I'm going to be loyal to my family members. I think when you put that out there and that becomes your end game, then I think you punch betrayal in the mouth. But I love what you're saying that uh, people do get offended before they betray because it yes. justifies yes. the betrayal. I'll breach loyalty because I'm I'm upset. I'm mad. I'm hurt. And I could just see where that thing continually spirals. And before you know it, you got this pride in the fact that you're betraying and really it's just narcissism. 
is what mm-hmm. it is at the end of the day. You know, I'll end with this of just what I want to share with all of you of what I heard the Lord say. And I just want to declare this over you. If you're a listener and you're just taking time, just if you're able, like just get in a quiet place or close your eyes and just receive this because I just believe as I declare over you, it's just something I got prophetically. And I just want you to hear this for your heart. I heard the Lord say 2024 is the year of knowing my name. I am Jehovah Jireh, your provider. I am your healer. I'm your restorer. I'm the mender of the broken things. I am the God who sees you. You can never escape my gaze. This is the time to tuck away into my presence. I'm your anchor. Anchor. I am your anchor. Nothing else. I am your safe place. No one else. I am your sounding board, the giver of wisdom and counsel. Wait upon my spirit to guide you. I will not lead you astray. This is the year of total dependence. Trust in me beyond your current capacity. This is the year you'll step beyond the disappointment and you'll thrive. This is a year of experiencing me in new ways. I've built you differently for exactly this time. This is the year of imagination and dreaming, a year of reconnecting and reigning. This is a year of turning a new page, starting fresh, starting new. This is the year of taking off the grieving clothes and finding fresh purpose and vision. This is the year of momentum. I love that. I think that's so profound. And I think one of the things that becomes, I think, just the the walk away of it all is just to stay Jesus focused focus the Bible talks about in Philippians 4 8 whatever is honorable or is just lovely good repute any excellence anything worthy of praise let your mind dwell on these things thanks so much for tuning into the keep it 100 podcast make sure to rate review and refer us to your friends and be sure to click that subscribe button so that you're alerted as soon as new episodes drop help us get the word out share this link on your social media platforms and check us out at seanandkristasmith.com you can also find us on Facebook at Sean and Krista Smith Ministries we would love to hear from you on how this podcast has impacted you. So be sure to show us some love. Hey, don't miss our next episode is we're going to be talking about some Keeper 100 topics. And remember, relief may change your circumstance, but a revelation will change you. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Keeper 100 podcast with Sean and Krista Smith. Keep up with us on Facebook and Instagram and seanandkristasmith.com where you can discover more resources. If this podcast has impacted you, please subscribe and review wherever you listen to your podcast. Keep it 100.